0: Welcome to Watershed's February podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove. I'm a cinema curator here at Watershed and I'm delighted to be joined by Phil Johnson, who is Senior Programme Producer at St George's Music Venue here in Bristol and is co-curator with myself on Filmic 14, which is our season exploring the creative connections and crossovers between worlds of film and music. Phil one of the things I've been thinking about because this is the third year that we have been doing the uh, festival and it seems to me that there's been a real growth uh, in a way there's kind of a bit of a zeitgeist around the whole connection between film and music. There's been more of a, an awareness around the creative connections particularly manifest in Neil Brand who has done an event with us in the past and um, his amazing television series mm. um the sound of cinema which has been great that that connection's been moved out into into broadcast so I just wondered, had you have you seen that series? I'm sort of still waiting and... to
1: see it, unfortunately. Yeah, that I never managed to uh, to watch what was on. I did see odd bits, sidegeisty stuff, as you say. It's it's basically there's been a growth over quite a few years now of uh, film, stroke, music. Uh, events within the programming kind of portfolios of major arts institutions so the Royal Festival Hall for example has had as part of its only connect series and other things that it's done I mean Adrian Utley of of Portishead for example did a project with Nicholas Rogue didn't he about Mm, ten ten years ago and the Barbican have done a number of different things Uh, so there's there's, there's that one side to the story if you like which is uh, film and music events being part of the programming portfolio of different arts organizations. And then there's also the whole influence of film on contemporary music, which Mm -hmm. is gigantic, really kind of always has been gigantic, and you look at Prokofiev or Shostakovich or whatever, and you can take it back to there. But we've also got lots and lots of bands and lots and lots of music producers who are taking their prime inspiration, if you like, from film rather than, rather than music, in that we know that in Bristol we've got a special relationship here, in that groups like Porter's Head and Massive Attack are noted for the filmic associations of the music. So, so I think we're within the kind of mainstream of what's been going on within arts programming, both in the cinemas and digital creative centres, such as Watershed, and in music venues such as St George's, in that I think what's good about filmic is that there were no hard and fast rules, basically, yeah. in that we decided this wasn't going to be a film music festival. Yeah. Instead, it was going to investigate, interrogate, what it, the in, intersection of film and music, music and film, in whatever form that took in that now we're in the third year. The first year, we set the bar quite high in that the first year we had Michel Legrand, kind of most eminent living film composer in, in, in a way, uh, composer of, what, 150 films for really ma- major directors. And then last year we had Philip Glass, who did a solo concert, including pieces from uh, one of the films he scored with uh, for Errol Morris. And Philip Glass, of course, is again kind of top three, top five kind of film composers of today. As well as doing those kind of you know, big events, we've also had other things that have a, had a local element to them. And this year, we're kind of mo- moving on again in that we haven't necessarily got the big marquee name composer as we had with Legrand and Glass, but we've got a really interesting mix of different things. And the St.
0: George's uh, menu includes a dedication to the, to the Coen brothers, mm. You know, just picking up on that. What's been great for me doing this work with mm. Filmic and exploring these connections between film and music is thinking about the soundtrack and being alert to the soundtrack and the score much, much more than I think I had been previously. Although I've obviously um been watching films and enjoying and, and thinking about the soundtrack, but with doing this partnership with a live music venue, mm. be, you know, mm. becoming much more focused and thinking about the soundtrack so when you know I watched Inside Lou and Davis the mm-hmm. new cone brothers film in Cannes um the subject matter interested me because it was 60s Greenwich Village and being a, a big Dylan fan and knowing about that um, moment that happened in New York and Greenwich Village, really interested in the film from the subject point of view. But then, you know, you, re, you, you also see that T-Bone Burnett is doing the music supervision for it. And T-Bone Burnett, you know, kind of um, probably most noted for, as you say, Old Brother, Where Art Thou? Which was an extraordinary mm. um, soundtrack. Mm. And again, I remember seeing that film before it was released and everybody commented on the music. But not in a way that said, oh, that the, the, the film was lesser, but just that it was part of the film. Mm. And I think you know what T-Bone Burnett in particular has done, which is great that we're sort of opening with Inside and Davis and we've you know got some live music that's going to be happening alongside it. But the, what T-Bone Burnett seems to do is bring an authenticity mm. to the music. Mm. And what, with Filmic, what that allows us to do is to focus in on the composer, although Burnett's not a composer, he's, he's somebody that knows the music, was actually connected into the music and can deliver to the Coen brothers a complete authenticity to the the film that amplifies Mm. what the filmmakers are trying to do. And he has a curatorial role, really, doesn't he, in that he selects songs and he works
1: with the composer Carter Burwell, who's worked with the Coens since their first film, I think, so you get the kind of the whole package. But I think the Coens are excellent as an example in examining how music works within film because the Coen brothers, from the very first film, are very knowing. I mean they're knowing filmmakers in al- al- almost every aspect of, of the art, but their use of music I mean it is exemplary. Yeah, yeah. yeah completely, completely
0: exemplary, yeah. Yeah. And and they managed to almost rediscover music and so so tracks. I'm thinking particularly all of the Dylan track that was used in the big Lebowski. The Man in, the man in, the man in Me, Me yeah, which is a yeah, very yeah. obscure, I mean completely mm. obscure mm musical track in terms of Dylan and Dylanology. I mean, you'd you be very rare to find anybody that really knew that piece of music. Burnett knows it, but also knows it in relationship to what the Cone brothers are trying to do with the film The Big Lebowski, which kind of seems to me the art that T-Bone Burnett has um, discovered in relationship to that creative partnership with the Cone brothers. There's a moment in Blood Simple, at the beginning of the film, after the kind of
1: opening, scenes in which uh, we're in a redneck bar, the black bartender climbs over the bar, he goes over to a jukebox and he presses play, and it's the same old song by the Four Tops comes on, which is a killer Tamla Motown track. Mm. There's a kind of joke there that again is very uh, Coen Brothers because it's very intertextual, that at the end of the film, after the long drawn out kind of uh, very bloody kind of knife fight climax or whatever, uh, the jukebox in, in the bar, which is the, the, the locale for the fight, as it was for the scene at the beginning, comes on. And of course, it's the same song, which is it's the same old song yeah, yeah, yeah. So in that plays over the end titles of the film. Mm-hmm. So I think there, from the very beginning, you had this knowing uh, genre approach in which it's playing games with film noir in the lighting of the film the plot of the film the uh, the femme fatale character the heavy character and all the rest of it are all comments on previous films within that kind of Genre, so it's very postmodern, but then they use music in this similar way. I think music also in the Coen Brothers films is hard to disassociate from the soundtrack as a whole, mm. in that uh, their musical cues are placed with absolute certainty yeah. and with a very knowing and very yeah. ironic yeah. ear as to how they'll work. Yeah. And you could look at the use of Somebody to Love by Jefferson Airplane yeah. in A Serious Man later on, uh, and, and sort of throughout their filmography. There's uh, yeah, this very knowing use of. Film. I think with Old Brother, it's different. And I think T-Bone Burnett has spoken of the effect-that huge kind of groundswell of, uh, of, well, and, and of love and, and that came about well, that film. Way, we thought yeah. it was a 9-11 moment, basically. There was but, a return to kind of purity and. and yeah. Uh, and then so th- on.
0: it was a rediscovery of a, a, a sort of lost American yeah, exactly. music, yeah. which was the sort of bluegrass gospel. Yeah, Carter family kind of. Vibe. Yeah, Carter yeah. family, um, which fitted perfectly with the film. And I think, you know, what's interesting with Old Brother and, and with. Inside Lou Davis is both of those films is that there's a there's a sense in which you feel it's otherworldly, mm. which is what the Coen mm. brothers do. They mm. sort of it's almost like they've created a parallel universe, mm. but yet there's also it feels connected, you know. So it's it's not quite a, a parody in the sense that it doesn't it's got no connection with reality. And I know a journalist colleague when he saw an early screening of Inside and Davis he googled some of the music and of course it's all based on you can find the album yeah, covers yeah, yeah. it's all 60s music yeah. you know so all you know dave von ronk uh, who's kind of the basis of and uh, davis mm. but very 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 loosely is the basis of him um there is an album called inside uh, Dave, Dave von Romp you know, the photograph, the, and yeah. it, there's a cat mm. in that photograph. Yeah. And if people haven't seen the film, <laughs> um, and they will, and hopefully they will see it, they'll know that the cat plays an important, an important part. Role, yeah. And it's kind of grounded in a reality, and that reality comes through, I think, what T Bone Burnett brings to the creative process, which is a film grounding in the musical reality.
1: And also, I think that's a really good point that he brings authenticity, because it would be wrong to see that the the cohens would were, were clever clever their their films are clever they are knowing they are nuanced and they are kind of postmodern but but they kind of go through that yeah. to create a world of their own that isn't particularly second hand, but also does ha- does have a, a real kind of living and breathing mm-hmm. element to it. And I think that's that, that's the success. You're, you're not watching cardboard cutouts and you're not watching something that seems to have been put together just as a series of kind of genre gambits or, or rather infradig comments on different yeah. things. There's a real, you would hesitate to say, I don't know, joint tourist sensibility or whatever, but there, there is a world. They have created a Coen Brothers world yes. that is absolutely kind of... Uh, self-sustaining, and yeah.
0: we could almost move from one film to another, mm-hmm. and we're still within that within mm-hmm. that world that we've come to recognise. Mm-hmm. We're screening Inside Llewyn Davis. Uh, we open at the end of January, and we're playing through um, February. We're, we're doing a focus on t and um for our brunch screenings, and I think people might be surprised by, because yes, he is the go-to guy for authenticity, so the Johnny Cash biopic, mm-hmm. it, it was Thiebaud and Burnett that did that. Um, which is an extraordinary performance from Joaquin Phoenix. Is, mm. is, As I walk, is, is, well, I walk the line, yeah, I walk the line, yeah. Which is a fabulous you know, biopic of Johnny Cash, um, and Crazy Heart, which Jeff Bridges is the mm. country and western star in. T Bone Burnett writes the the music that wins the Oscar. That's but he's got that again, going back to that authenticity. But here's the one, The Hunger Games. Tibo and Burnett's involved in the Hunger Games um, and doing that, which I think a lot of people will be surprised by. But it's an interesting um, sort of departure for Burnett because um, you know clearly he's somebody who's enjoying working with films and enjoying that you know bringing his music experience to it. The music obviously plays a a strong part in the Hunger Games, so that's an opportunity for people to see something that's out with that kind of. authentic Americana sound that he he brings to it and see what they think about um, Hunger Games. But at St. George's, You're doing No Bro, which is a, a celebration it's of... It's a musical
1: celebration of the Cohen brothers in that we've commissioned this kind of alternative folk agency or pair of producers called The Local, and they're putting together a multi-act bill uh, who are going to kind of cover a number of songs from... Coen Brothers films, mm-hmm. including quite a few, I think, from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? The artist that they've confirmed so far, they're still adding to the bill, but it's uh, Emily Barker in The Red Clay Halo, and she's an Australian singer-songwriter who uh, you will have heard her if you've seen the, the Wallander uh, BBC version with mm-hmm. Kenneth Branagh. The title music is a song, Nostalgia, from an right. album by her. Uh, so she's going to be appearing in this... Uh, um, Another singer songwriter from Manchester called Kirsty McGee, who's a bit of a kind of rootin' tootin, kind of only Get Your Gun, very forceful singer who sings in exactly that kind of roots music, Americana territory mm-hmm. and we've also got a, a couple from South Devon who now live in Bath called the Karavik sisters mm-hmm. who are twins who play bluegrass music mm-hmm. with great authenticity. Uh, yeah. I think their father and, and mother may have been musicians but they've kind of imbibed you know they play dobro fiddle and a range of other instruments and I think they might be accompanied by a bass player but they're very very authentic so that they will fit right into that mm-hmm. vibe and then I think there's a more left field guy called Thomas Truax who's more kind of indie and uh, and odd who will be doing interpretations of something perhaps a bit stranger, maybe something from less well-known films like Raising Arizona, for example, Mm. which has got a fantastic soundtrack Mm. by uh, Carter Burwell Mm. that, again, Mm. is very, very Mm. odd. Uh, Yes, so I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, It's a kind of new venture by St. George's in the sense that we've thought, instead of just thinking that we're going to have this standalone artist who's going to perform, we've instead gone with the idea of a theme, and then we've kind of commissioned someone to go out and get people who can fulfil that yeah. Theme and there's both going to be the concert in the main hall, and then afterwards there's going to be the Church of the Latter Day Dude uh, as a kind it's of after. It have to be the Dude <laughs> if you're going to do the, the Coen Brothers. It's an, it's an after party in the Crip Bar okay. where I think there's going to be a kind of primitive DJ set up and there's going to be people busking down there. So, so it's a genuine attempt to kind of uh, honor yes. the the traditions of the uh, of the Coen Brothers films yeah. by by doing something really creative, and rather than. Oh, you could you could imagine a really sort of slapdash event that would somehow kind of aim aim at, uh, at doing something, but no, this is
0: this is a kind of an event with a bit of love in it from people who really love yeah. the music. Somebody else that you're doing the, performing live is Jocelyn Pook, and I know Jocelyn Pook as the person who worked with the filmmaker artist John Smith mm. on a, a brilliant short film called Blight, which was a co commission by. I, if I remember rightly, um, the BBC, might have been Channel 4, and the Arts Council, which was bringing together filmmakers and musicians. And John and Jocelyn worked on that together and say an extraordinary short film, which um, we'll be screening. Um, she worked on part of the score for Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut, and you, you've got her performing at um, St George's.
1: Yeah, that uh, I know. Justin have written about her work and her work with Stanley Kubrick, and I think I first became aware of her through something by the Physical Theatre Company DVA to film that was shown on on Channel Four years and years ago. And that she's she's actually performed at St George's a couple of times uh, in the past, not for about eight years or something. Yeah, I wrote a story about the Eyes Wide Shut because it's quite a thing that Stanley Kubrick chooses the work of this absolutely unknown British composer. Uh, She wasn't absolutely unknown because she'd done the music for an orange mobile phone ad. That used the sampled version of Kathleen Ferrier singing "Blow the Wind Southerly," and it was a very, which is a kind of iconic thing within English mm. culture, and it was very, you know, well liked at the time. But she told me the story of, uh, of Kubrick. That evidently Yolanda Snaith, who was a choreographer who was working with Kubrick on Eyes Wide Shut or the, or the early stages of it, um, one day Yolanda Snaith was playing something in a ghetto blaster or whatever while she, I don't know, she was rehearsing actors or something like that, and some of Jocelyn's music was on the tape right. in Kubrick. His ears kind of and he said, oh, what's that? And then the next thing that happens is that Stanley Kubrick phones up Jocelyn Pook in a flat in Islington. The, the joke is she put him on call waiting because she was talking to someone else at the time. So she put him on call waiting and he, he, he hung on. And then uh, she finishes her call and says, oh, right. And it's, it's, I'm Stanley Kubrick. And he explains that he's interested in her music. And anyway, the next day, a limo arrives. At her Islington flat with her kind of driver to collect a cassette or a you know a, a dat tape or something like that. She's prepared of her music, goes away again. And then it might be the next day, but it's a better story if it's the next day, maybe it was the next week. Uh, the Limo comes again with the chauffeur and takes her to Pinewood. Amazing. I guess. Amazing. To to meet Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. She's not entirely familiar with Kubrick's filmography, but as anyone is, you know. She's, yeah, you know the name number of different yeah. things. So she's quite kind of overawed by it. She never got the whole picture, which is unsurprising. Other artists who work with Kubrick will say the same kind of thing. That She never received any kind of direction of any kind, particularly, in that uh, some of the themes were, were, I think, things that she'd worked on previously. And she did some writing to picture, but it wasn't the usual kind of Mm. commission that, that the composer will have. The film was, was already complete, and then the composer comes in. Mm. And she wasn't sure, when I talked to her, just before the film was about to premiere, she wasn't sure what music of hers was going to be in the final picture. And she went over to the premiere in New York mm. and met Tom Cruise and mm. Nicole Kidman and all, mm. uh, and all the rest of it and was involved in that whole kind of circus. And, the, and there, I think there is a fair bit of her music there. Mm. And from that, she also wrote something that was used in Martin Scorsese's Gangs of New York. Okay. Yeah. So she was kind of immediately kind of thrust from being this this very independent kind of avant-garde-ish mm. contemporary English composer who'd done things like, she'd played uh, cello with Massive Attack on top of the pops and stuff mm. like that, that's what she did. She formed a group called The Electric Strings who who backed pop musicians on shows mm. and on TV appearances. And then from there, she kind of developed her
0: own career from that.
1: Mm. And she's written for uh, Brick Lane, a couple
0: of films for uh, Julio Medem. Well, she's done Time Out, the Laurent Conte film. Oh, um, right, which, yeah. she yeah, did yeah. The, the French film. Yeah. Yeah, and I hadn't realised the extent of her uh, filmography and and in a way, you know, it illustrates for me, you know, what's really interesting about filmmaking is that you begin to delve into, like we did last year with John Parrish, Mm. you know, you begin Mm. to delve into a musician's work and you realise, oh, there's all this incredible film work that you hadn't quite realised. I'd always thought Jocelyn was just eyes wide shot. that was one thing and that was it, but there's a range of films that she's yeah, been involved she's con- in.
1: and she's continued to compose for, I think it's Saint- Shaw's St. Saint Joan that had Anne-Marie Duff in it, she mm. won an award for that, so she right. writes for the stage yeah. she's written for opera and she's written for the concert platform mm. and she's arranged strings for Peter Gabriel's right. uh, yeah. recordings and Natasha Atlas and she's worked out of real world studios and boxing. So she's on that kind of area where all these different types of music, contemporary classical music, world music, because she always works with a really multicultural band and she's mm. forming a special ensemble for the St George's concert, and
0: kind of pop, or mm. I forgot, they all kind of come together. So I, I've asked Jocelyn for her um, sort of inspirations and influences from the film side, and um, she's given us um, a great list, which includes um, films like Koslowski's Double Life of Veronique, uh, Lars von Trier's Dance on the Dark, um, Greenaway's Draftsman's Contract, um, Kubrick's 2001 uh, Bella Tars Rick Meister, Harmonies really fabulous list, eclectic yeah. um, range of films and we'll be screening her selection through March in our brunch season but also what's interesting is some of the films that she's talked about are films where um, there's actually no music and there's no sound <laughs> which, and, and one of those filmmakers being John Smith mm. um, because John up until working with Jocelyn hadn't used any music at all. Um, Being quite a rigorous, structuralist filmmaker, there, there isn't any external... Um, and the partnership with Jocelyn was the first time that he'd really done that. So she's she's talked about Tarkovsky's nostalgia and Lars von Trier's The Idiots, which don't use, um, or if they do, it's very, 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 very minimal. It's the non-use of music that, beca- or the very subtle use when it, is, when it does happen, you know. Um, so that'd be interesting. Um, and I'm, um, as part of filmic, uh, hopefully interviewing Jocelyn to talk about the film selection mm. There's much, much more that's going to be happening during filmic. We're going to be screening um, the new print of Louis Mal's *Lift to the Scaffold*, yeah, which has that fantastic score by Miles Davis. We're going to be screening um, slightly related um, *Under the Skin*, which is Jonathan Glazer's new film, and people know, might know Jonathan Glazer's work. He's done a lot of pop promos with people like Massive Attack and done a lot of ads as well, and he did Sexy Beast, which is probably most known as the filmmaker, but his new film, Under the Skin, is an extraordinary film starring Scarlett Johansson, a bit like Nick Rowe's A Woman Who Fell to Earth, and with an extraordinary uh, soundtrack by uh, Misha Levy, mm-hmm. a musician in her mid-late 20s. This is her first feature working in film, and it's just the most amazing soundtrack. There's going to be a lot that people can engage with in Filmic 14 and if you go to watershed.co.uk you can find out more and if you go to stgeorges.co.uk you can see listings and find out more about the events. Thank you very much Phil. You're welcome. welcome. We'll see you next month.